Praise the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, praise team and choir and orchestra. And wow, what wonderful worship. Awesome worship, guys. Open your Bibles to the Song of Songs, chapter 2. The Song of Songs, chapter 2. We will be reading verses 8 through 17. And our goal today is to talk about protecting your romance, your marriage, from an untimely end. Song of Songs 2, 8 through 17, protecting your romance, your marriage, from an untimely end. Here's what the Word of God says. The young lady speaking, listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. Verse 9, she continues, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, and here she's quoting the man, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived, and the New American Standard says, for the pruning of the vines, a better translation is really the time for singing has come. The time for singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, he's still talking about her. In the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. We don't know who's talking in verse 15, if it's the man or the woman, but it says this. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. But in verse 16, the lady's speaking again. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. Protecting your romance, your marriage from an untimely end. The most famous hymn writer of the last 200 years is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, you know her hymns. So many of them that we sing, To God Be the Glory, which is actually my favorite old hymn. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus keep me near the cross. It goes on and on and on. What you may not know is that Fanny Crosby was also an ardent abolitionist. She hated slavery. And when the Civil War broke out, Fanny Crosby, the author of all those hymns, she actually wrote a song attacking Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. Listen to what she said. Come thou vaunting boaster Jeff Davis and thy clan. Our northern troops are waiting. Now show thyself a man. Advance with all thy forces. We dare thy traitor band. We'll blow thy ranks to atoms. We'll fight them hand to hand. My goodness, that's Fanny Crosby. Just war theorist right there. I mean, who knew? But she was quite a lady. If you don't know, Fanny Crosby was blind. And she spent her life in blindness, which is makes her musical ability all the more amazing. She was actually teaching at the New York Institute for the Blind from ages 15 to 23. And while she was there, she met another student with whom she fell in love. By the way, there's a strong belief that she was the first woman to ever address the United States Senate. In the 1840s, she addressed them about uh, better care for people who are blind and had handicaps. 
As joyous as her faith in Jesus Christ was, she met this young man, Alexander von Alstein, at the New York Institute for the Blind. He was actually a student similar to her in age. They fell in love and they got married. He was blind as well. But as joyous as her faith in Christ was, and as much as we are encouraged by her words yet today, her marriage was not nearly that joyful. Early on in their marriage, they experienced the tragic death of an infant daughter. Some of you have experienced the death of children. You know the grief. It's not certain the degree to which that death affected their marriage, but what we know is they lived a vagabond lifestyle. The couple moved frequently from rented flat to rented flat, rented apartment to rented apartment. They bounced around. And eventually, they began to spend large extended periods of time apart from each other. And it seems by all her biographers that by 1880, they had become separated due to a rift in their marriage. And of, no one knows what it was today. It's lost to history. Though they remained married until his death, the marriage was estranged. He died in 1902. The last 22 years of their marriage, they basically spent apart. This precious, precious Christian woman who has so blessed us with songs of heaven, did not enjoy the blessing of a happy marriage on earth. Now, the question I have is how many Christian couples are just like that, like the Van Alsteins, Fanny Crosby's marriage? Externally saying all the right things about Jesus, praising the Lord, singing praises to him, but secretly, privately, their marriage is just a war and a war and a war, and since sooner or later it ends. Yes, sincere followers of Jesus can have marriages with deep problems. Perhaps that describes your marriage. Technically faithful, but estranged. In the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 through 17, we're given some warnings about the little foxes that can come into marriage and ruin a marriage. And so today, we're talking about how to protect our marriage from an untimely end, that we don't end up like that. Technically, yes, married, but estranged and so far apart. So let me give you five principles from this text. First of all, rejoice in and remember your in love experience. Verses 8 and 9 talk about this. She's talking about her beloved. Oh, he's climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. It's not clear to me if verses 8 and 9 are the conclusion of what comes before or the introduction to what comes after so that you get them in two different sermons, the last one from Song of Songs and this one as well. But the point is she's driving at, remember your in love experience. Don't forget it. The young woman in Song of Songs 2.8 says, listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, he's climbing, he's leaping. David Jeremiah commented on this passage and said that she is await, he said this, awaiting a lover's arrival as a time of joy. The heartbeat speeds up as time slows down. Do you remember that when you were seeing each other? You couldn't wait to get to her house and pick him up or pick her up. You couldn't wait to, uh, for him to arrive and there was this excitement and anticipation and so often we lose that. As we get older, there's tendency for us to forget lots of things, and we forget the in-love experience. We forget the great joy that we had there. One senior adult said, memory storage is my, my problem. Memory retrieval is, right? So sometimes senior adults, we forget things. There were three sisters, 92, 93, and 94 years old. The 94-year-old sister went upstairs to, to take a bath. She stepped halfway into the tub and stopped and said, am I in here to take a bath, or am I getting out of the bath? Am I getting in or getting out? So she called downstairs and said, hey, am I getting in the bath or getting out the bath? The 93-year-old sister walked up the stairs and she got halfway up and she said, am I going up the stairs or going down the stairs? I can't remember. So she called down to the 92-year-old sister and said, am I coming up the 
stairs and coming down the stairs. And she said, the 92-year-old sister said, I'll come up and help you in a minute. And she said, boy, I hope I never get that forgetful. Knock on wood. And she stopped and said, who's that at the door? Let me go see, right? So you get forgetful. But I hope you don't forget the in-love experience that brought you together. So one way to keep these little foxes from ruining your marriage, these little problems, is to not forget. You know, there was something that brought us together, and it was of the Lord. And we don't want to forget that. We want to keep that in mind. Keep it fresh. Remember and rejoice in your in-love experience. Second, recall how your special romance made dormant feelings come alive. Your special romance made dormant feelings come alive. Verses 10 through 13 are actually a poem to spring. That's what it is. And it's celebrating springtime as the time for love. You know that. It's even true today. People think of spring and they think of lovers and young couples coming out and holding hands and rejoicing. The... uh, the text talks about the time have rain has passed, the rain is over. The, the idea here is that in Palestine, winter was considered to last from October to April, which is also their rainy season. So they have a rainy season and a dry season, much like California. And so when the rains were done, that's about the end of April. So in these verses, verses 10 through 13, they're describing that time of year about like May. I remember my sophomore year in high school, we had this particular day. I'm not kidding. We had six fights break out in my high school on one day, six separate fights. And about every one of them was over some girl. And it was springtime, and it's just everybody was happy to spring, and, and the guys were all fighting over some girl. Well, there's something like that going on here. There's this time of spring. It's the time of love. Uh, this phrase where it says the time of pruning of the vines in the verse 12 in the NASB. The, N- the NIV actually gets it a little closer. The Hebrew term is for singing. The time of singing has come. And the, the birds are singing. The birds are happy and they're singing. The idea of spring and love and singing all occurring together is common throughout the world. It's been common in your life. The King James may be right. The birds are singing and the people in love are singing as well. The verse celebrates the exuberant joy associated with lovers in the beautiful spring. Do you remember singing? Uh, You just couldn't, uh, even if you don't have a great voice, you're thinking about that special someone, guys. And when you're dating and you start uh, humming um, uh, some some song that kind of made you happy. I remember one time, not long after Lisa and I got married, uh, I was going to quote one of Shakespeare's sonnets to her to try to impress her. I'd memorized it. And with my accent quoting Shakespeare's sonnets, that should be against the law. But nonetheless, one of the, uh, Shakespeare talks about spring. He says in one of his sonnets, April hath put a spirit of youth into everything. But there's this one sonnet I memorized. It's sonnet 116 from Shakespeare. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to move. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempest and is not shaken. You remember me saying that to you? We've been married about three months. She started laughing at me. She just broke out in laughter that I was trying to quote Shakespeare. So I started citing old Journey lyrics, and things went a lot better. I'm forever yours faithfully. Um, So try your old Journey. The point is it's a time of singing. 
And that's what the text is talking about. Time of singing, time of spring, time of love. The poet Emily Dickinson in her poem, A Light Existing Spring, says this. A light existing spring not present on the year at any other period when March is scarcely here. A color stands abroad on solitary fields that science cannot overtake, but human nature feels. And he's taking her out in spring. He's taking for a walk. They're going for a walk on a beautiful springtime day. And notice the attention that he's giving. The guy is talking. Verse 12. The flowers have appeared in the land. Uh, he talks about the voice of the doves has been heard. Verse 13, the fig tree is ripened. He's pointing all these things out to her. Look, there's a fig tree. Oh, do you hear the dove? Oh, look, and I think of those things. I think of you. He's showing attention to detail. And he's showing that he's trying to take her with him on something he enjoys. Some have suggested that Solomon was really the first naturalist. He's kind of looking at all these things and commenting on them. Ladies, when your Bubba takes you along to things that he enjoys doing, he's trying to say, look, this is what I enjoy, and I want you to see. So when he takes you to some old car show, and he's telling you about every, this is a 1963 Buick, whatever, and this is a 64 Oldsmobile. Oh, look at that. That's a 67 Mustang GT. And he's quoting all that stuff to you. Ladies, when, if he wants to take you deer hunting, uh, that Bambi's mother might come to an untimely end. I know it's horrible, but he wants to take you with him. He's trying to say, this is what I enjoy, and I want you to be with me, and I want you to enjoy it too. And Lisa says, as soon as they put a deer stand in the Hyatt Regency, she'll go with me, right? But, but So you've got to come along and, and spend some time. And that's what he's trying to do, this romance and this joy. And I, we're encouraged here in this this text in verses 10 through 13, this beautiful psalm of spring, dormant feelings have come alive. Some of you know what that's like. You got to a point in life where you wondered if you would ever meet that someone special, and you'd almost given up. And then he or she came along into your life, and these dormant dead feelings came to life, and it was like springtime blossomed in your life. Don't forget that. Remember how they brought these dormant feelings alive. Then third, repeatedly praise each other. Look at verse 14. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. To quote Lady Antebellum, he's saying, baby, you look good. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. He's praising her. I like the sound of your voice. Your voice is sweet. It's like music to my ears. You're lovely. And by the way, this, he calls her a dove in the clefts of the rock. Do you see that there at the start of verse 14? Everybody say, I see it right there. He's got it. I, my dove in the clefts of the rock. The idea is that she is inaccessible. There's a little mystery about her. She's like something way off up in the side of a cliff that he can't quite get to. But it's also about the fact that she is a person of character and purity and not everybody else has had access to her as well. She's carried herself with a lot of dignity and she's like a dove in the cleft of the rocks. He's just enthralled by her and he's praising her. Don't stop praising each other. Don't stop uh, giving words of, of encouragement and telling each other how much you mean to each other. When a woman is praised by a husband, she doesn't go looking for praise somewhere else. When a husband is praised by his wife, he doesn't go looking for praise somewhere else. You hear what I'm saying? I say this again. When a woman is praised by her husband, she doesn't go looking for praise somewhere else. When a husband is praised by his wife, he doesn't go looking for praise somewhere else. A lot of affairs get started. There's a lot of rumblings at home and somebody at work starts saying, well, you know, you're just awesome and you're the best and they're not hearing any encouragement at home. And I'm not saying it's right, but that's how the flesh works. That's how Satan works. 
praise each other, find something positive that they do. We always look for the negative. We always look for what's going wrong. Find something your spouse did well and praise that. Find something about them and let them know, I appreciate this about you. Praise them. The marriage between John Adams and our second president of the United States and his wife, Abigail Adams, is a healthy example of a couple that kept praising each other throughout their marriage. They gave birth to five children, including our fifth president, John Quincy Adams. She was his confidant. Abigail Adams was his confidant, his political advisor. She viewed him uh, as, they were, they, uh, he viewed her as someone of intelligence, and she gave him all sorts of advice on foreign affairs and government. And they wrote tons of letters to each other. They kept writing. Man, when I was overseas, I was writing Lisa about every day. I miss you. I miss you. They say absent makes the heart grow fond. It doesn't make it grow fond. It makes it miserable. I just want to go home, right? Why don't the Taliban go away? So I go, right, you just get this thing done with. But I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. They wrote thousands of, uh, over a thousand letters to each other. Here's something that Abigail wrote to him. Listen to this. This is what Abigail Adams wrote to her husband. There's a tie more binding than humanity and stronger than friendship. And by this cord, I am not ashamed to say that I am bound, nor do I believe that you are wholly free from it. What she's saying is, I am bound to you. You are my man. Wow, what a word of encouragement. Listen to what John Adams said to, to Abigail. He quote, now here's a direct quote. Guy's a president of the United States. I want to hear you think or see your thoughts. The conclusion of your letter makes my heart throb more than a cannonade would. He says, my heart's pounding like a cannon. You bid me burn your letters. What, he's, what she's saying is, you might ought to burn these because I don't want somebody reading them after we're dead. Well, guess what? We all did. But anyway, um, you bid me burn your letters, but I must forget you first. What he's saying is, I'm not going to burn these letters because to burn them means that I for. Forget you first. I have to tell you something. I've reached a point in life. This is the truth. Every room feels empty when Lisa is not in it. Just feels like, well, there's something missing. Don't stop praising each other. Don't stop encouraging each other. Find something awesome and wonderful about your spouse and focus on that. Keep affirming. And in your prayers with each other, when you pray together, you should thank God for your spouse. I thank God. And let your husband hear, ladies. Dear God, as I'm praying to you, I want you to know I'm thankful for the man you've given me. Gentlemen, when you pray with your spouse, hold her hands by the table and say, Dear God, I thank you for the woman you've put in my life. I, you do have no idea what that sort of thankfulness and praise does to a marriage. Fourth, and we're going to spend more time here, resolve not to let little problems become big problems. So here's what happens. Most of us know about the big things. We know about adultery and we know about debt and, and we're working to, on these really, really big problems. But sometimes we let the little problems come in. And notice what it says in verse 15. Catch the, little, the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. So we do know that the earlier language of the vineyard uh, in this, this text is a recurring theme in the Song of Songs. In verse 15, the vineyards are in bloom. That means they're fresh. I was taught one of our young people's working at a vineyard this summer. 
here at the church. So the idea seems to be that attractiveness is in its prime. Furthermore, we do know that in antiquity, foxes were a real problem to the vineyard. One Greek poet, Theocritus, writing about 275 BC, here's a direct quote from back in that era. He said, I hate the brush-tailed foxes that as soon as day declines come creeping into the vineyard. So back in antiquity, people were complaining about these little foxes getting into the vineyard. Now, I have a student, PhD student from Nigeria. He's a very good man, a very brilliant guy. And he said this, he said this verse is actually his his life verse for his marriage. He and his wife have adopted Song of Songs 215. And from an African context, he said something interesting. He said, in my country, people build a wall around their houses, and even our church has a wall around the compound. Why? The wall keeps out the big animals, whatever those big animals are, lions or antelope or whatever. The wall keeps out the big animals. You got the picture? But what happens is, even though you have that big wall, little rodents can get underneath that wall. Little foxes, if you will, can get underneath that wall. So the wall keeps out the big animals, but you still have little problems that come in. And so you have to stay on top of those things. So his life verse for his marriage between he and his wife is this, don't let the little foxes ruin our vineyard. They, they know that they're to be aware of the big problems, but they want to make sure these little problems don't become big problems. So I have eight little problems for you that though they are small, can become big problems if they are not appropriately addressed in marriage. Eight little foxes, if you will, that can ruin your marriage. They're listed in your bulletin. So here are eight little foxes that can become marriage killers. First of all, forgetting to use good manners with each other. Please and thank you. You're welcome. These things, they never go out of style. Gentlemen, you still open the door for her. I, I've had men that talk to me about their marriage and they'll say things like, well, I was in the driveway and she didn't come and so I honked the horn. You're headed for divorce court, Bubba. Let me just tell you, all right, don't do that. Don't do that. Write it down. You, no, you take time. Some of you guys say, well, I like it when my wife looks nice. And then you complain when she goes and spends money at the Mac counter over at Dillard's or something like that. Bubba, you don't get it both ways, okay? You either let her spend money on cosmetics or you get what you got. One of the two, all right? But you can't have it both ways. Some of the ladies, this is your time to say amen, okay? Let the men know it. Uh... So guys, you have to keep showing manners and politeness and thoughtfulness with each other. Ladies, you got to keep saying the polite things and just those little things. I believe good manners in a marriage are almost like oil in an engine. And oil keeps an engine moving smoothly. And if we never forget good manners, it helps them in a marriage. We will say please and thank you to the person at the drive-thru in the Chick-fil-A. And then we'll bark at our spouse. Give me this. I want that. And use better manners with some 15-year-old trying to make $8 an hour. Come on, man. Use good manners. Secondly, failure to give undivided eye contact. A few months back, our, one, our favorite steakhouse in Kansas City is called the Majestic. It used to be a speakeasy. Yes, a Baptist preacher goes to a restaurant. It used to be a speakeasy, right? But whatever. We go there. It's awesome steaks. And uh, we were there one night about three or four months ago. We're enjoying this really lovely meal and I'm having a great time. And there was a couple across from us. This is a nice steakhouse. I mean, this is a nice steakhouse. And they've got their cell phones out, and they're not looking at each other. They're just, you know, uh, 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 and, and I'm thinking, put the blessed cell phone down and look at each other. Ladies, 
When you're talking to your husband, he's more important than somebody's recipe on Facebook, okay? Turn the cell phone off. Put the laptop computer down. Hold each other's hands and look in the eyes. Saturday mornings, Lisa and I like to go eat breakfast together. We'll go get a sausage biscuit somewhere. Nothing fancy. But we'll read the Bible together and we hold hands across the table and we look each other in the eye and we're talking. Keep your eye contact up. Look each other in the eye. Third, not praying for your spouse. Not praying for your spouse. Men, as the spiritual leader in the home, your spouse needs to hear you praying out loud for her. Dear God, help my I have a prayer list. My wife has a, a very important job at a, a major hospital in Kansas City. I have the names of all the major administrators in that hospital written down in my prayer journal. I pray for them and their relationship with my wife. I pray for my daughters and my daughters and my wife. I don't want, the, I don't want my family to have the first time they've heard somebody out loud praying for them being outside my home. I want them to hear it in my home. I want them to know I am praying for them. I want them to hear me talk to God on their behalf. Gentlemen, you need to intercede for your wife and let her hear you do it. Now, don't pray a prayer like this. Now, dear God, help my wife be better at this and this. No, that's no, no. Uh, she's going to pray the imprecatory psalms over you if you do that. I promise you, okay? Some of y'all don't know what the imprecatory psalms are. Read your Bible. But anyway, uh, God smashed their teeth, all this sort of stuff. Uh, pray out loud for each other. Ladies. Let your husband know you're praying for him. Pray for each other. Failure to pray for each other. The next one is simple. Not saying I love you. Don't ever stop saying I love you. Keep encouraging other. Number five, not making an effort to be presentable. Now, let me, let me be very clear about something. We live in a culture that is, has an unhealthy obsession with physical beauty so much that it's idolatrous. So I'm not talking about that. But you should put your best foot forward for your special person that God's given you. And when you go out somewhere, it doesn't mean you have to dress to the nines, but you've made a sincere effort. And when your spouse makes an effort to look nice for you when you go out, let them know, hey, I really like that. I appreciate that. Making an effort to be presentable in public for each other. May I say a word about flip-flops? Dirty feet. I mean, come on. Uh, Last time I checked, Walmart's still open. I mean, you can still, anyway. Number six, inconsiderate messiness. Inconsiderate messiness. So, Lisa does not like to scrub toilets. And ladies, you said, yeah, some of you about to go into tongues right there on that. Get somebody to interpret for you. So I'm, I said, darling, I'm your toilet man. Now, guys, here's what I have to do. I have to masculinize the project, okay? I have to make it manly. So I try to view the germs as enemies attacking my family, and I'm going to war with them. So, you know, sometimes I get like the flight of the Valkyries playing in the background. Dun, 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 dun. I love the smell of Clorox in the morning, right? I mean, you have to masculinize these things. Um, but the fact is, you get in there, and you find something that, that your spouse doesn't appreciate doing. I have a friend of mine, and he got, when he got married a few years ago, he asked his wife, he said, is, what is it that you hate doing around the house more than anything else? She said, I really hate unloading the dishwasher. He said, I'm your guy. I got you covered. On, you will never have to do that. But he said, what we're talking about, unintentional messiness. I can't tell you the number of couples I've talked to, and one of their complaints is, he never picks up his clothes. She never picks up this. Okay, what happens is the messiness 
the unintentional messiness gets gets interpreted as disrespect by leaving your dishes out and not putting them up you're just expecting me to do it and I take that as disrespect so unintentional messiness try not to be a messy and remember guys you did not marry your mama inconsiderate messiness seven careless sharing of information careless sharing of information telling people things that they don't need to know about your marriage number eight keeping score here's what I mean by scorekeeping most couples agree that labor, physical and emotional, should be split fairly evenly between the husband and the wife. But if you make it an obsessive proposition, worrying more about perfect equality than happiness, the relationship will suffer. So if you're always keeping score, well, I, wa I washed dishes three times this week, and you washed them three times this week, but then the week before, I washed them four times, and you only washed them two times, so I'm really up one on you or two on you. No, don't do scorekeeping. Let me just tell you, you're going to go through seasons of marriage where one of you physically or emotionally because of circumstances in life will not be able to give their 100%. They might be able to only give 5% and you're going to have to pick up the other 95%. So my wife, Lisa, a couple years back, um, she had a dental implant that went bad, went septic, and she went into renal failure. That's called you're going to die, Right. And so for three months, she was sick beyond measure. She couldn't give but five or six percent or, or anything. She, she's out. You're going to have times like that. You can mark it down. It's not when one of you gets a major illness or when. It's not if one of you gets a major illness or if one of you gets sick. It's when. It's not if. You have a major emotional trauma with a teenager or a kid. Oh, good night. Car insurance is an emotional trauma. My word. Don't you? Do you remember the day your kids got their own automobile insurance? Boy, that'll make you Pentecostal, won't it? I mean, thank God. So you're going to have all these sort of things come along in marriage. They're going to happen. And if you're always scorekeeping, well, well, I did this and I did this and I did that. Years ago, there was a couple we knew. This, man, I, this is over 25 years ago, maybe 26 or 27 and and their marriage did not make it, just to tell you the short story. But Lisa's trying to help this lady, and they were just friends kind of talking. And, and so one of the challenges she had, the lady said, well, I wash the clothes. When I get them out of the dryer, I fold mine. But it's his job to, to fold his. And she just left them out there. And Lisa said something very interesting to her. You're still looking at this as a roommate situation and not a marriage. You're treating him like a roommate. He's not your roommate. He's your husband. So it takes a lot of work. You don't do this scorekeeping. Break the habit of tallying up, tallying up your contributions and compare them to your spouse's effort. And I would hasten to add, you, little foxes will interfere with your walk with Christ as well. There's little foxes that interfere and lead us to spiritual dullness. We stop having our quiet time. We're watching CNN in the morning or we're watching the sports show on ESPN in the morning, guys. Instead of reading our Bible, these little foxes come in. So don't let little problems become big problems. That really leads to the last point. Remain pure in your commitment to your spouse. Remain pure and passionate in your commitment to your spouse. Look at verse 16. My love is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. Very tender verse. They belong to each other. My love is mine. I am his. They belong to each other exclusively in a relationship that allows no intrusion. And it's passionate. Notice what it says, before the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn to me, my love, be like a gazelle, a young stag on the divided mountains. 
Uh, one commentator comments on these verses 16 and 17. Both the man and the woman have called her a lily. To browse among the lilies is thus to partake of the pleasures she offers him. There is nothing wrong with a passionate love in marriage. It is a kind gift from our creator. And so as pure and as passionate, I've used a lot of stories from our marriage this morning. It's just the nature of the sermon today. But several years ago, I guess five or six we, um, Lisa and I went out to eat lunch and, uh, we had lunch together at a restaurant in North Kansas city. And we're sitting across from the table, 1130 morning, holding hands and laughing and flirting with each other. And, and when the bill came, the, the table server came to us, this young lady, and she said, um, well, uh, she was kind of hesitant. She looked and back and forth. She said, will this be one check or two? And I said, uh, ma'am, this has been one check for 25 years, but what, what was going on she blushed and she started laughing let me tell you what was going on she's done a lot of lunches in north kansas city and she's seen a lot of people holding hands and flirting with each other across from tables that weren't married to each other and she's not used to seeing a couple that's happy and laughing and flirting with each other in the middle of the day at a restaurant in downtown kansas city and her suspicion is we're up to something that's what she's thinking about two weeks after that, we went to lunch again at, uh, at lunch. on was like a Wednesday. Lisa's love language is shoes. She doesn't understand why people are mad at Imelda Marcos. But so they're right across, right across from this restaurant we went to. Ladies, you heard of this DSW shoe warehouse? Does that mean anything to y'all? No? Okay. Oh. So there was one right across from the restaurant. So Lisa said, can we walk through the shoe? Uh, you don't just walk through the shoe. But it's, yes, yeah, so we go and we're walking through there and we're holding hands and we're laughing and, and we're walking through the DSW. And this guy comes up to me and says, sir, can I help you find something for your lady friend? I said, sir, this lady friend's been my wife for 25 years. But you understand what's going on? It's off, their, it's off their radar that a married couple would be holding hands and laughing and flirting in the middle of the day. They thought we were up to something, okay? I had somebody tell me they were from Georgia before the service. You understand what I'm saying? When you're up to something in Georgia, it means you're up to something, right? So if you want people to talk about you, my suggestion, all you husbands and wives, go walk around holding hands in the middle of the day at the mall. Who are they? What are they up to? I don't know. We're up to having a happy Christian marriage. That's what we're up to. Don't let the little foxes come in to destroy. Keep dating one another. Keep loving one another. Keep encouraging one another. Lisa, will you grab that Bible? So how do I bring all this back to Jesus? Lisa's going to come up here to the pulpit. I told you I'm using lots of stories from her own marriage. So um, for those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Lisa. We have our 30th anniversary this October Brother Chris is going to preach that Sunday. I'm going, I'm going to be in San Diego suffering for Jesus, but Chris is going to be here preaching for y'all. Um, 30th anniversary, going to Coronado. So I was 19 years old when I started dating Lisa. So how do I bring this up? Because we haven't talked about Jesus this morning. This, if you don't know much about the Bible and don't much about the gospel, what you just heard in the Song of Songs is a book all about romance, and we've just walked through a passage with lots of practical advice for marriage. But I've read one little snippet of a big book, and what you need to know is the main message of this book is that there's heaven and there's hell, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the grave to prove he was who he said he was, and when we believe upon him in faith, he saves us by grace. That's the gospel. So I'm 19 years old, and um, 
I was, I'd been seeing Lisa for a couple of months. And we were, she'd seen that my Bible was worn out. We're sitting in front of a Dairy Queen in Powder Springs, Georgia. And Lisa gave me a box and opened it up, and there was this Bible in it with my name on it. I still read my devotions out of this all the time. And so I, I have such tender thoughts about this Bible that a 19-year-old girl, and she knows all my strengths and all my weaknesses. Lisa has seen me at my best and at my worst. Some of you say, I wish you'd be our pastor forever. But you don't have to live with me, right? I mean, but she's seen me at my best and my worst. And we're about to celebrate 30 years of marriage. And I'm going to tell you, I just wish your marriage was as happy as mine, just to tell you the truth. And I've had people, I had soldiers when I was a chaplain in the Army. Soldiers asked me all the time about marriage and stuff. And some of you, I'm telling you, you want to know what's made our marriage? It's the message of this book that I'm holding in my hand. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you don't have Jesus in your marriage, you're headed for trouble. And you listen, because we've offended each other and we've hurt each other. But what we know is that Jesus has forgiven us. And because Jesus has forgiven us, we can forgive each other. And we're not going to let the little foxes come in and ruin this thing that God's building. And I'm telling you, it's the message of this book. A 19-year-old man, I can't tell you how that, and and listen, I can't stress. She's seen me at my best and my worst. She knows my strengths and my weaknesses. But as a 19-year-old man that a girl would give you a Bible, I thought, but what kind of hopes and aspirations does that mean she has of me? And you need Jesus Christ in your marriage. I'm going to ask our praise team to come. I'm going to ask Mark to come. Listen carefully. We're about to have an invitation. If you've never believed on Jesus in the way the Bible says, this sermon's been about marriage. I get that. We haven't talked about the cross, but I'm telling you, this is the message of the Bible. If you've never believed on Jesus in the way the Bible says and trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I can't promise you that you won't have any more problems in your marriage if you give your life to Christ. And all the Christian couples said, yeah, that's right. But what I can promise you, is you'll never face another problem alone. And I'm telling you, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient for a marriage. So I'm going to ask you to do something you may not have been planning to do. Let's walk to the front, take my hand, and say, Brother Allen, I'm lost, and I want to be saved. Brother Ryan, Brother Andy, Brother Chris are all here, and they'll pray with you and share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for men and women and boys and girls to be saved. Father, I pray that they would look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray they'd look to the cross. And I pray that husbands and wives, even this morning who may be thinking about divorce, that they would take all those problems, the little foxes in their marriage, and they would give them to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I pray that you would save marriages. I pray that some marriages would be saved before they even start. I pray for young people this morning to make a commitment in their Christ to do marriage your way and not the world's way. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would deal with hearts and draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. While we stand and sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. You come on the first verse.